Welcome to the IonHoops.com podcast with your host, Guy Flotico. Hey, it's season two, episode 33 of the IonHoops.com podcast, and I'm refreshed off a summer vacation up in New Hampshire. By the way, did you guys know there's something called Iona Lake in the White Mountains area? Of course, I realized this after the trip ends. Anyway, enough of that. We don't want to even talk about that anymore. We've got lots of news, recruiting info to cover for the basketball team of our university. That's right. I said university. And we'll talk about that in the Iona Iotas. Iona Iotas. This podcast is not immune to Murphy's Law. Literally moments after I assured all of you that Jalen Hawkins was still coming to Iona, he decommitted and went back in. Of course. But while it would have been nice to have a veteran guard of his caliber in our rotation, the Gales are still pretty deep at the one and the two, so don't stress too much over all of this. Oh, speaking of guard depth, it was noticed by the astute gang on the Anahoops.com message board that Jose Gruyan was not mentioned by Rick Pitino in a recent email to Gale Nation. Probably the only player not mentioned, I'm sure, at that moment. Is he coming or isn't he? Well, after this Hawkins debacle, I'm not saying a word. How about we just wait and see how that one plays out? Iona, Iona. Iona College is no more. As of July 12th, we're now known as Iona University on the strength of the New York Presbyterian Iona School of Health Sciences. So you're going to see all sorts of branding updates from the college in the weeks to come. And meanwhile, you've read, you've, you may have noticed, if you're really paying attention, uh, that the IonaHoops.com message board has been rebranded to reflect this as well as well as the art for this podcast, getting a facelift. Meanwhile, the rest of you get, get going and updating those LinkedIn profiles and spread the word, as this, of course, is huge news for Gale Nation. Iona, Iona. And speaking of professional profiles, a couple of former Gales have signed overseas contracts in the past week. Dylan Van Eyck's going to be eating well as he starts his pro career in Italy with San Giobi Chusi, in the second division. Meanwhile, Elijah Joyner signed with Paralimni of the A division in Cyprus. No word yet on Tyson Jolly. Uh, stay tuned. I have a feeling that's coming soon. Uh, but anyway, of course, once a gale, always a gale. And we wish these guys good fortune overseas. I'm going to make them an offer he can't refuse. If Twitter is to be believed, the offers are coming fast and furious from the Iona staff the past couple of weeks, particularly of 2023 class. Buckle up, we've got a lot to go through. We're going to start with James Flippin, a 6'11 center out of Milwaukee via Tennessee Prep and Wallace State Community College. He played AAU for Kivon Looney Elite, physical player, scores while drawing contact, was a nice outside shooting touch. Um, at Tennessee Prep, he averaged 18 uh, and 7, as well as 3 assists. As a freshman, he played at Chattanooga State Community College, where we averaged 16 and 6 and shot 41% from three as a big and averaged almost taking taking almost five threes a game. He's probably going to end up one of the top JUCO 100 players in the country. He's got offers from GW, Austin P, Grambling, Troy, IUPUI, Jacksonville, NCAT, Detroit, Mercy, Oakland, and Southern Miss. We've also offered Babakar Mbenge, Seven-foot center out of Dakar, Senegal. Played for Olympus Prep in Jersey. New World AAU. 
is three star and on two four seven, uh, 127th nationally on rivals. He's 149th nationally with three stars. He's got offers from Duquesne, East Carolina, Fordham, Texas Tech, GW, Norfolk State, Arizona State, Tulsa, Mississippi State, SMU, Temple, and Xavier. Now let's talk about Yaxel Lendeborg, 6'9", power forward out of Pensacon Township, New Jersey. Plays ball for Arizona Western College, which is a JUCO. Uh, he earned um, that league's player of the year and a third-team All-American last season, averaging 12 and 11. He's a major shot blocker as well. Long, athletic, strong, good hands, great body. Um, offers from North Texas, FIU, Milwaukee, Jacksonville, and Lamar. Again, these are all from the class of 2023, and we're not done. Let's continue with Eli Rice, 6'7", shooting guard out of Gallatin, Tennessee. Played this year for, uh, playing this year for IMG, uh, an AAU team thrill out of Baltimore. He's got offers from URI, Nebraska, Georgetown, Bonaventure, NCAA, NCANT, Murray State, VCU, and Southern, Southern Missouri State. Let's go big again, this time with Salio Sai, S-E-Y-E. That's I'm going to say, maybe say. Seven-foot center from Senegal, played for Loyalty College Prep in Texas, now playing for Ellsworth Community College. Also played for NBA Academy Africa. Good handle, athletic, quick for his size. Just starting to get his name out there. His only other offer at this moment is from Cincinnati. Still more size, Tafara Gapari. Hope I'm saying all that right. A 6'10 power forward out of Wellington, New Zealand. Plays for South Kent, um, AAU for Team Mello. Uh, recently decommitted from DePaul. And previous was a commit for GW and decommitted from there. Um, he also has a job option of jumping to overtime elite of the Australian NBL. Um, and he's a 2023 group, but he could reclassify to 2022 before the end of the summer. We'll have to see. Um, on 247, he's a four-star prospect, 46th nationally. Rivals, four-star, 84th top prospect. ESPN, three stars. That offers, again, he decommitted from DePaul, he also, but he's got other interests coming in already. But I originally had offers from UConn, Maryland, GW, Illinois, Syracuse, West Virginia, Virginia Tech, ASU, Fairfield, Hawaii, UMass, Missouri, New Mexico State, Pitt, Xavier, Towson, Rutgers. You get the idea. We're not done yet. Let's talk about Okechukwu Okiki. Thankfully, he goes by Chris. Um, he's 6'9", six, six, power forward center out of Lewin, Illinois, currently playing at Tallahassee Community College. Didn't really start playing hoops until he was in high school, and even then was a late bloomer. Uh, played last season at Tyler Junior College, where he averaged 10 and 6. Got offers from Austin P, UIC, Maryland, FIU, East Carolina, Memphis, ASU, DePaul, Norfolk State, Morgan State, Cal State, Bakersfield, NC Central, Arkansas State, Wichita State, and Kansas State. Still more from 2023. We're not done, people. Settle in, I told you. Elijah Gertrude, 6'4", shooting guard out of Jersey City. Plays for Hudson Catholic and Albany City Rocks. Said he's leaning towards staying in the uh, New York, New Jersey metro area so his family can watch him play. Tough two-way player named defensive MVP at the all-FYBI Kansas City first team in July where he averaged 16 points on 50% shooting. Also four boards, two assists, two steals, and, and nearly two blocks per game as well. Three-star on 247. Uh, offers Seton Hall, Rutgers, shockers on both of those, right? Pitt, Kansas, St. Bonaventure, St. John's, Syracuse, Temple, Virginia, and St. Peter's. 
We also have Michael Jefferson, 6'7", shooting guard, small forward out of Sulphur Springs, Texas. Played high school ball at Midway in Waco, AAU for pro skills. Did a prep year at Don Community Prep. That's D-O-H-N. Uh, at Don, that's in Ohio. Uh, at Don, he averaged 15 and 7. Um, he's now at Northwest Florida State College, where he last season he averaged uh, 6 and 3. High IQ type player, good passer, can shoot it. Three stars on 247, three stars also on rivals. Um, got offers from Butler, OSU, Tulsa, San Houston State, Bowling Green, McNeese State, and Southern Miss. Lastly, I'm going to give some love to the class of 2024 with an offer for Matt Gilhul, a 6'10 power forward out of Elizabethtown, PA. Plays for the West Town School after transferring from Elizabethtown. He's also on Philly Pride AAU. Offers from Rutgers, Bryant, Penn State, and Mississippi State. And now let's welcome Rocco Miller to the program. He's a bracketologist, a non-conference schedule expert, and a realignment guru as well. Let's see what he's got to say about the Gales. Well, if you're into college hoops and you're listening to this piddly little podcast that I uh, have here, then then you are listening since you're hearing it right now. You're going to want to follow Rocco Miller on Twitter. His Twitter bio describes him as a bracketologist, but he's so much more than that. He's a non-conference schedule guru. He's he's shown expertise in realignment, and all these things are interesting to us, of course, as Iona fans. Um, and it makes him a great listen right now for you guys as well. Rocco, thanks for joining us. Guys, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. How are you today? I'm great. I'm great. So first of all, if you can go into a little detail about who you are beyond what I just kind of spewed out there. So I fans can understand why I'm having you on right now. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate it again. Um, so, you know, I've, I've been really glued into bracketology basically since the start of Twitter, which I believe was like 2010. So this is now 12 years since Twitter started. It makes me feel a little old, but uh yeah, and I, that's really when I started putting things out publicly. Um, in terms of the the art and science of bracketology, it's kind of always fascinated me. Um, I think it first got introduced to ESPN in 1996 by Joe Lenardi, so he's been going on almost 25, 30 years now. Um, and, you know, I think the early years, 96 to 06, people were just kind of seeing it, absorbing it. I don't think it really took off. Uh, until maybe after 05 or so, where it just really became a part of all the broadcasts and all the different uh, things that ESPN does. I mean, uh, I'm at a point now where Joe and I have known each other for the last handful of years, and uh, we'll probably start working together behind the scenes, actually starting this year, which is pretty cool. But nice. um, but I looked at it as an opportunity to um, bring something a little different to the audience um, across, you know, with Twitter being that, uh, that main platform. Um, to, to basically start talking about and thinking about the game in a different way. Um, and, and, you know, what really matters to these coaches, what really helps teams get to the tournament, what, what stuff really doesn't matter. Um, I, I think like a lot of us over the years, you know, you get fed whatever's on your, on your screen. We're all watching the same games. Um, but there's so much of that that is, is pretty surface level and not really go, go into enough depth. 
um, hopefully with the advancement of you know social media and websites like mine or and of course Ken Palm's emergence and all this advanced analytics that we depend on um, we're making the information much better for the common everyday college basketball fans so it's not like um, you're, you're kind of flying blind and not understanding what your realistic chances are to to make the tournament so that's kind of how I really became in, uh, came onto the scene, I guess you could say, but my entire life, um, I've been what you could call a hoops junkie. I, you know, I, ma I mainly played baseball and tennis through high school and college, got cut in basketball in 10th grade. It's still the, probably the worst day of my life because I, <laughs> I, I, I love playing too, but I'm only 5'11 and we, we had two kids transfer in that were six, four twins. And, uh, Coach was like, sorry, we don't have a spot. Um, <laughs> I kept playing pickup throughout the rest of high school, but but that day still stings. But, um, you know, I love the game as a, as a whole. And I was telling you before we jumped on, you know, uh, growing up in Seattle, it, it, you know, nationally, I don't think it gets the respect it deserves. I think finally some of the national um, uh, attention is getting put on how the Sonics got stolen and that, that still hurts. But I, I think eventually the NBA will come back, but so many guys from the area go to the NBA and have great college careers. Um, the, the list is very long and, and the culture is super strong. Um, you know, uh, unlike California and, and Arizona and Nevada, and some of the West um, Washington's gray, cold, rainy. We like to be in, we're indoors all the time in the winter. We're extremely passionate about sports. You probably see that with, Seahawks and Mariners and other teams so basketball is no different and the, the love for college basketball at least in my uh, upbringing was huge with two final fours in 1989 and 95 and then also the Fab Five came through in 93 uh, for an Elite Eight game that a lot of people mm. forget about against Temple so um, anyway being a part of all that growing up and now here we are today it's just continued to evolve and grow and just I'm constantly looking for uh, stuff that's interesting that not a lot of people are talking about. Well, and you know, you hit on one thing I want to go back to. Um, you talked about analytics and, and just more information being out there. We had uh, Eric Haslam on um, about two months back, I think we had him on, and I think you know him as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, tell, talk about the different amounts of information that are out there now for people to make their own bracket. I mean, here you are, somebody who is, according to Bracket Matrix, you were 28th out of 148 uh different bracketologists on bracket matrix over the last five years. How do you, how do you use the information you get to come up with such good results? Yeah. So for me, the analytics is becoming more important. So the net was just introduced a couple of years ago, I think 2019, the net was introduced. So we're still dealing with uh, an era now that's different than before because the RPI drove everything through 2018. Um, but in terms of analytics in general, um, there is so much information. It's crazy. I mean, last year they just approved uh, video, uh, whatever the tablets to be on the benches during games, like a, you know, a, a student manager or a director of operations can have mm -hmm. uh, that, that uh, uh, data available right there on the bench. Um, you have products like Synergy. Uh, you have products like shot quality, you know, all the stuff you're probably into as well. I think I subscribe to all of them. And to be honest, it's probably a bad investment for me <laughs> because <laughs> Uh, I, I get to the end of a season, I might've logged into Synergy like four times, but I know, you know, you look at guys like three man weave um, who do a great job out there as well. They, they, you know, you can drill, you can drill down into really kind of anything you want basketball wise to start to really understand defensive concepts, offensive systems. 
um, how teams might match up against each other. So that's pretty fun to do, like when the bracket does come out, or even if you're just looking at one of my brackets during the season to, to get an idea of like, who's Iona going to match up against? How would we match up against them? You know, instead of you just like watching tape and trying to put your best uh, guess at that, which is still a great exercise, by the way, um, you can actually apply so much data to it. And depending on how analytical you are, like Haskell's probably one of the most analytical that, that you'll find, um, you can really break that down and put a good story behind it. And that's exactly how it's going down right now within programs. Um, there's a majority of programs, especially the ones that are good enough to be at large teams, have a guy on staff that is an expert in that. Um, I was lucky to be here in the Bay Area. Um, you know, Todd Golden just got hired at Florida. But uh, there's a guy on his staff, Jonathan Sapphire. He's got a lot of national attention. He's he's like a director of analytics now at Florida. Got got hired right right over here from San Francisco. So um, a lot of programs have gone that direction. They've been going that direction. That's only going to continue, especially as these family trees continue to grow and these guys have success. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not only how the business is making hiring decisions. It can also be trickled down to fans, so we can all be a little bit smarter about how we're watching the game. Well, I mean, so that's that's the bracketologist side of you, but you, as I mentioned earlier, you have a knack for other things as well, and such as uncovering non-conference games for everybody. You were a great follow just to to learn who's playing who next year. For example, you know, I'll give you a great example. I, I sometimes hear things about Iona's schedule um, under the table. It's normally half-baked information when I hear it, so I don't always publish it or share it or anything like that. And We'll go an example of a recent game that came out from officially uh, in the case of the Iona game versus Ramana Mohegan coming up. I, you know, I heard it was pretty much done and I put it right in my podcast and there you are later that day, you have the <laughs> same information you're tweeting out. And I'm like, now I want to know, I know where I got it from and I know you're not going to share your sources, but something like that just fall into your lap or do you go digging for things? You know, I, I try to spread my wings as far as I can go on all fronts with scheduling. Um, for me, like my number one priority is to try to help the programs. Cause if I can bring value to various programs, hopefully as many as possible, um, then they won't mind me kind of sharing that information at the right time. Right. So we can basically create a win-win. The more information I'm gathering, the better, uh, I, the more value I can bring to them as well. So, you know, even if a coach tells me which is going on right now, our schedule's already done, check in next year, I'll still keep them on the phone for a few more minutes just so we can go through, their outline um, because everything at the end of the day is just a giant puzzle and a process of elimination. So, you know, if you know, if Rutgers is taken on November 15th uh, and somebody's trying to play them, I can help that coach like not waste his time calling them, Um, give them a list of teams to call, not to call. So, you know, working with more staffs over the last couple of years has, um, has helped because uh, like you said, there's going to be these hearsay things. Um, You know, in fact, with the Iona Vermont, thing i think by the time i put it up i probably had known about it for a couple of weeks but um mainly they were trying to get a double header schedule they ended up as you know being Rutgers temple mm-hmm. um and for the longest time it was hard to find the right opponent for Rutgers. <laughs> um, and this is just how neutral events go in general i i'm working with a lot of the different organizers whether it's out there texas california arizona nevada i mean they're everywhere now salt lake city so um the cool thing about working with the organizers and building relationships with them is I can then go back to the coach and say, listen, that's not your only option. There's also this event going on on that same day. These mm. are the types of teams looking to play there. So, you know, everybody wants options. It's just like when you go to the store for anything you need to buy. Um, coaches, 
especially in a prime position um, like Iona is starting to become in that prime position where teams do want to play them and know they'll be a, a pretty sure top 100 team. Um, you're going to be able to do things like that, be able to build up maybe five or six options before you have to decide. And that's valuable uh, instead of just taking what you can get. So, um, so anyway, yeah, that at one point or another, um, I can't tell you the exact conversation or day, but um, we were trying to figure out who would play Rutgers. And, um, and I was like, wait a second, who's the other game there? And they're like, oh yeah, we got Vermont and Iona. And I was like, oh, that's, that's that day. Cause I did have, I have an idea they were going to play. I didn't know the date. And then, you know, so it's just, an accumulation of little bits of pieces of information. Um, it keeps me very honest to stay organized. So then I don't, you know, miss the opportunity to, um, to finish that puzzle and get it out there. But, but that's, that's actually how that game did get out there for me. Mm. Well, since you're a non-conference junkie and also a bracketologist, I have to ask you what you think about Iona's non-conference schedule, which is pretty much complete hosting Penn and St. Louis neutral site game against Vermont, Santa neutral site against Santa Clara, neutral site against Bonaventure, road games at Hofstra and New Mexico, the three games at the Diamond Head Classic against mostly mid-majors, though good ones for the most part. Um, and I, there's other rumored games out there. To, uh, again, uh, there's a neutral site rumor game going on uh, possibly against Princeton. I guess that's been talked about, but it hasn't settled in just yet. So we have that's a slate right. that's pretty challenging, but lacks right. big name opponents and opportunities. Even if Iona goes, say, nine and two in these 11 games, will anyone care? I mean, it'll still matter. Obviously, you'll, you'll need to be rooting for teams like SMU, New Mexico, St. Louis the rest of the season. You'll probably do that regardless. Um, and, you know, hopefully Santa Clara is uh, somewhere near where they were last year. I, I know that, that program very well, being in my backyard here in the Bay Area. Um, they're very optimistic about what they have coming, coming in. But, but in general, you're right. Like, Iona has got a very strong team, um, especially in comparison to a lot of these matchups, uh, favorable position. I, I do know, and you probably do too, Patino is extremely aggressive with scheduling. Um, there's a lot of teams that said no. Uh, we, I don't know how many or who uh, per se, but in general, Iona is kind of in that same basket as you know the stronger A-10 teams or maybe middle of the pack A-10 teams, um, the middle of the pack American conference teams, some of our stronger WCC teams, where it's just very, very difficult to get a power five team to agree to play. Um, you know, they've been, they've had those talks with Seton Hall. They get a new coach, not going to happen this year. Um, you've, you've had talks with all sorts of rumors. I think even BYU was one that was talked about for a while. Um, and now BYU's not as confident with what the team they got. So they're starting to kind of be a little bit more conservative than they were two years ago. Um, so everything's a constant ev evolution. I think the one thing that maybe fans don't see that I get to see is that, um, the, you know, the coaches are using these tools. Uh, uh, you know, I think Ken Palm actually offers a, a tool uh, to the staffs that fans can't access for off season. They pay pr quite a bit more to, to him for that. There's, there's also the Bart Torvik one that is free to use that I think we all look at. Um, so they're looking at all these matchups and they're like, yeah, that might be a little bit harder game than we want. Um, and I think that's really an untold part of the scheduling. Um, I, and I think it's a newer, a little bit newer thing just based on the trends because it's the net era and analytics is a, just a piece of everything and, and certainly true in scheduling that I think it's a little unfair that like when a crummy schedule comes out, <laughs> the fans go wild. Anyway, I guess you're never going to be able to stop that because it's just, it's as a fan, that's what you do. You want to play the best games. 
um, I'm a little sad for the sport that it's so hard to get those games to happen. You really can't get a team on the power five to come to Iona. Um, your only chance is really to play them in a tournament or, you know, out at an event where it probably favors the power five team. So it's just the reality that we're in. Everybody's dealing with it. Missouri Valley teams are dealing with it. Everybody's dealing with it. So, um, uh, but I think based on what Iona could do, they gave themselves games that are probably all going to uh, either avoid Q4 or come close to avoiding Q4. And that's important for bracketology because when we get to the end of the season, um, unless you lose a Q4 game, those results are largely ignored. Um, in fact, that's an easy way to kind of shortcut the process. Um, and then what's your record in the other games? Um, so if you end up with a lot in Q3, you can kind of game that record. Uh, you go, if you say they're nine and two, but you know, we'll say they're seven and two with nine of those landing in Q3, um, they're going to, Iona's going to have a better record than most in that comparison. Now, the, the key for Iona, as always, will be avoiding uh, tough losses in the conference, uh, no, yep. just like just like last year. So, yep, absolutely. And all of this begs the question: uh, we talked about scheduling. What do you think of Patino's approach to scheduling here now that he's at Iona? Is he thinking? Is he thinking too big? He's been trying. He's been clear. He's trying to follow, for lack of a better term, the Gonzaga model of not playing by games. Doesn't want to play a one for one against a team that a school that has a small gym. Like somebody asked me earlier today, why are we playing Vermont a neutral site? Why not just start a one for one with them? Because he doesn't want to play in a little gym like that. That's the answer. Um, yeah. Is that realistic for a school of Iona size to think like that? I think as long as Patino's there, it, it can certainly work. Yeah. And, and I think it's one of those deals because you look at their schedule now versus what, you know, the previous staff had um, it's, it's night and day. It's, it's a national schedule, um, which creates a lot of TV opportunities. It also, um, you know, as aggressive as he is and the whole staff is, they're knocking on the door for stuff that's coming in the future. Um, so I'll, you know, keep, keep succeeding the way they did last year. And I think, I think Iona can, knock that door down and get into some bigger opportunities and events, you know, that, you know, I could see them getting invited to like the Atlantis or I don't know about Maui, but you know, what, something at that level, I'm not even trying to commit myself to a, to a name, but, but um, that's kind of how the process works. You, 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 everybody knows each other at the top of college basketball. <laughs> so Patino certainly knows all those people and they knock on the door, they start to pro prove, you know, show the proofs in the pudding that they're a, bona fide top 75 top 100 team then nobody's really gonna have a problem playing them on a neutral uh, once that reputation's in place so so maybe just another year or two and, and i think you'll see that start to pay off mm. and and now that we're talking about where the program could be i do want to take us in a slightly different direction uh, when you're a smaller school like iona and you get a rick patino to coach your program you start to dream big and as a passionate fan indeed if Iona was ever, in my mind, if Iona was ever going to make a push to be in a bigger conference, say the Atlantic 10, now would be the time. As a realist, though, I'm not sure if Iona can make that financial commitment to make such an upward jump. And I'm also concerned about what happens when Patino calls a quits. What do you think about all this as somebody who's objectively looking at an, at an Iona? Well, I think when it comes to realignment, um, it, it's driven by television dollars for the most part, right? So all the big stuff we're hearing about at the very top of college sports is all Fox and ESPN. Um, A10 is the most viable, of course, logical destination for Iona. And I think it should be the goal. I think what you saw Loyola Chicago pull off in five short years um, should give Iona people a lot of, a lot of hope. Um, basically, as all the kind of the mentality guys like us have always had, in terms of what it takes to get to another conference in terms of, you know, how big your school is or, you know, what, you, you know, all those other factors, 
they really don't mean as much as how many people watch your games. Uh, television drives everything today. Uh, and so if, if Patino's getting you guys on, you know, playing a good national schedule, you know, even if it is just SMU, Vermont, uh, Princeton, Penn, those games are all, you know, ESPNU, whatever they are, um, all that helps with the, with, with the marketability. Um, you can very quickly become not only an A-10 team, but bring you in the way Loyola Chicago is being brought in. They're, they're being brought in as like a top seven out of 14 team um, with a chance to outside chance to win the thing in their first year. So that, that to me from a, it needs to make sense from an academic standpoint, a competitive standpoint and a television standpoint. And I think Iona with another season, they're, they're kind of in that prime position. Now I'm not a, television executive i don't pretend to be i try to stay away from that topic as much as i can but i am very interested in the business side of sports um and that's what's moving the needle is is uh is the television aspect mm. now is all of this talk about moving up kind of a moot point give with saint peter's out of the mac just did this past march uh, we'll see i mean obviously the financials that saint peter's will bring from that result is going to be great for all the mac schools um but again, if you're Iona, you know, you're getting, I, I guess, let's say the A-10 doesn't downsize. There's always been talk of a team like a Fordham or LaSalle possibly moving down. But let's just imagine they go to 15. You know, realignment, you have to look at the pie. If, if Iona brings, um, it, it obviously makes the pie bigger for the A-10. But if it makes everybody's piece of the pie bigger because they're adding more enough revenue to the table, um, then it may, it's a win-win for everybody. And Iona makes the move. Uh, now, uh, on, on the Mac side of things, um, they're going to be living in a little bit better Mac world than, than before because you just got four shares uh, of the NCAA revenue that will be paid out over the next six years. Um, so you'll, you'll keep getting uh, that check you know, for six more years, and maybe somebody else makes a run during that time as well. So. And and so I have to I have to ask somebody who's into the numbers, into the bracketology, into the analytics. What do you, when hap, what happens when you have a St. Peter's? I mean, does it just kind of throw a lot of that out the window? <laughs> what, what do you mean by throw it out? The I mean, it's like you know, best laid plans. You know, you're sitting here, you're digging into numbers, you have it all figured out, and then St. Peter's happens. <laughs> oh right, yeah. Well, the good thing about bracketology is. Um, my work is done on Selection Sunday, so <laughs> it's it nothing to do with filling out a bracket. If you want advice on filling out um, your bracket, call my wife. I'll give you I'll give you her info. She's won she's won our pool three of the last like five years. It's and it's not like a small pool; it's like a hundred plus people. Um, nice. I don't know how she does it. Um, she she believes in the human element in, in predictions, and um, you know she doesn't watch many games during the year, but she'll sit there with her bracket. She'll ask me like 10, 15 questions. And then she'll be done. And whatever she, whatever she does or figures out in that process is amazing. But, but what I do is really just the art and science of how the selection committee is thinking uh, and going through their process. Um, I've been very fortunate to serve on a, you know, we have a kind of a smaller website, Hoops HD, that I've been on their shows, you know, uh, here and there. I'm kind of part of the panel. Um, we have a 10-person mock committee every March. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really interesting follow if you're into the process. We'll, we'll post updates every night. And the, the guy, Chad Sherwood, that runs Hoops HD is well-versed in the entire process. So we follow the NCAA process to a T. Um, and it's very interesting how it shakes out. Like I, I go in there with my own bracket and sometimes our, our committee bracket turns out much different. And it's incredibly educational for what actually happens in the, the real committee room. Um, because 
there is a voting process uh, all the way from the one seeds down to the bubble. And uh, it, it's rigorous. It takes three, three full days, if, if not more. Um, and it starts to explain some of the things that happened last year, uh, which we can get, get into if you want. But there was so, some snubs based on not really taking the Saturday results into full account. Mm-hmm. It also kept Duke as a two seed where they probably should have been a three. You know, that, that had a major trickle down effect and a major impact on my results, um, even though it still was pretty solid. It was, uh, it, you know, every year you learn something new and every committee you learn is a little bit different as well, um, which makes the, the task of guessing at it incredibly challenging. Um, but, you know, what I pride myself on is the process element. And that's why I think I can help uh, the common fan get a little more educated and um, understand it better. Well, I think you've helped us get a, a lot educated during this uh, call today. It's It's been really informative and wonderful having you on. Uh, I love the different perspectives that you have on some things uh, that you shared with us today. Um, and, you know, I hope you are as pumped for the season as we are. <laughs> That's coming up fast. Uh, be here before we know it. Uh, and I appreciate you coming on. My, my pleasure, Guy. I'm absolutely pumped. Uh, it's crazy to even think it's getting anywhere near close. I just feel like <laughs> I'm, just, I'm still trying to figure out 300 more team schedules. Um, but we're, get, we're getting there quick. I think we just hit over 50 today that are totally done. And I know a bunch of teams are done that uh, I've talked to behind the scenes that just haven't put it out there, but, but uh, yeah, once all the schedule stuff's done, we'll, we'll go full, full f- force into preview season. And so um, make sure to, to check that out as well. So I appreciate you having me on. Uh, thanks again for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. I'd like to thank Rocco Miller for coming on to the podcast to talk about bracketology, to talk about scheduling, to talk about uh, realignment. Uh, he's just a wealth of information, and I'm glad we will have him on. And I'm glad that our season is progressing here, Gal fans. See you guys next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to this edition of the IonaHoops.com podcast. This podcast is a production of IonaHoops.com and its publisher, Guy Falatico. The opinions shared during this podcast are those of Guy Falatico, IonaHoops.com, and any future guests. This podcast is not affiliated with Iona College Athletics or the college itself. Thank you for supporting IonaHoops.com.